How are pharmacy organizations addressing the extraordinary stress of practicing during this phase of the pandemic? We'll talk about that next on Locked On Pharmacy. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Pharmacy Podcast, the insider's view into the world of pharmacy. Hello, this is Frank Fortin for the American Pharmacists Association. The 2021 phase of the COVID-19 pandemic has brought unprecedented pressure on pharmacy organizations and pharmacists. Not just the workload of administering hundreds of million of vaccine doses, but the impact of working with patients who are now aggressively challenging, in some cases, the professional judgment of pharmacists. It's a stressful time all around. Pharmacist well-being and burnout was a topic of discussion before the pandemic, certainly. But the pandemic has made the situation even more critical. Recently, Mitch Rothholz from APHA talked to two individuals in the middle of it all. Alex Farkey is the director of pharmacy at the Houston Methodist Hospital, Texas Medical Center. He'll talk about what he's seeing at his institution and how they're addressing it. Rita Jew is the vice president of operations at the Institute for Safe Medication Practices. She will talk about the actions that pharmacists can take today to ensure that the extraordinary stresses of our time don't have a negative impact on patient safety. Mitch Rothholz will start us off by talking with Alex Farkey. Let's start having a discussion about what's going on and how you're managing it with your, within your practice. So could you tell us about your practice and the work that you're doing to address well-being with your staff? Our institution has invested immensely uh, in preserving well-being of its employees. Like most organizations, there may be the free meals and some gifts that work from time to time, and we certainly offered those. But our institution has truly gone the extra mile and seeing the impact of this pandemic on our workforce. They've invested in providing free access to well-being resources like Headspace, uh, as well as free access to virtual and in-person counseling sessions, even beyond what we had already offered traditionally through our employee assistance programs. And I actually use the virtual sessions myself, and I found the service to be extremely helpful. Uh, the past summer, uh, our, our institution prioritized rest and recuperation uh, and the provision of additional PTO and a bonus to provide employees the opportunity to spend some quality time with their loved ones. And we actually just announced this this um, uh, this morning, but the, for Thanksgiving, it was just announced that our employees are going to be receiving a $500 gift card uh, to a local grocery store chain here in Texas to help pay for Thanksgiving or other holiday meals. So we're not only trying to provide resources on site, but also opportunities for our staff to reconnect with family and loved ones uh, through the stresses of working in healthcare. Uh, they are they are immense and they are constant. Uh, it really is a privilege just working for an organization that prioritizes the well-being of our staff. So, you know, being from a, you're a director of a pharmacy um, and a significant size pharmacy, how do you view the pressures, the practice stresses, both from a management perspective as well as from an employee perspective? So you're you're kind of in the middle of of a big corporation, so having to manage from up above and then below. Yeah, just give that Absolutely. perspective. For sure. Uh, so stresses and, and its impact on healthcare professionals, that's not new, right? Uh, this has been an ongoing issue for some time. 
Uh, it's why past APHA president Brad Tice called for our well-being steering committee to be formed a couple years ago before the pandemic. Um, but COVID-19 stretched us beyond the limits, uh, even more so than what we thought we had before. Uh, and it's truly pushed many of our practitioners to a breaking point. I certainly see that here, uh, especially during the pandemic surges and our staff, because the workload is just so large and it pushes us beyond our limits. But I also see it in our colleagues in the community setting. And as you can see on the slide, just the immense pressures that they endure with minimal to no additional help offered to take on these additional responsibilities like testing and vaccinations, in addition to what was already a busy and challenging day to day and providing medication therapy management and other services to their communities. You know, as a leader, it's hard to, you know, to see that and to feel that there are certain things we can control and things that we can't. Um, but it's just really important to, to keep uh, dialogue open and having open conversations with staff to see what the pressure points are and see how we can help. Alex, since you interact with other healthcare professionals um, in your institution, is there a common approach that you're seeing being applied across the health professions that our audience might use as a takeaway, something they could look at in their system? Sure. So we're definitely seeing that, you know, pharmacy is not alone. Uh, we're definitely seeing this in our nursing and our physician colleagues, respiratory therapy, radiology, lab. Uh, I could probably name all of our departments and, and it, would, it would apply to them as well. Uh, our entire system's overwhelmed. And in the health system setting, we have the opportunity and the fortune of working with multiple disciplines and seeing the challenges and shared struggles. And in some ways, that helps us see and understand that we aren't alone and that there are many others who are being pushed beyond their limits. And it's allowed us in a lot of ways to rally around one another in this common goal of serving our community and our patients. But if I compare that to, let's say, a community pharmacist, though, you know, who may be on their own in their own practice, it would be far more difficult for that extremely hard work practitioner to have the same perspective. Um, having a sounding board or some sense of community is essential to helping all of us trudge through these immense stress points. And leaders have to be willing to listen to the concerns of their team members and be committed to working together with frontline staff to make any necessary changes or enhancements to help our team. So I think, you know, in summary, just us being able to go through this together has been, been helpful. And I think having something similar in other practice settings would be very important. Great. Thank you for sharing that, Alex. APHA and NASPA, through an open process, you know, developed and adopted a, a document called the Pharmacist's Fundamental Responsibilities and Rights. Um, and the document is, was, is also supported by several other pharmacy organizations. Uh, so, Alex, can you provide some insight into the fundamentals document and, and how we can use this fundamentals document to guide conversation about workplace issues? Of course. So the, the fundamentals document is a, an important resource that was developed after months of discussions involving several national organizations, including APHA, to really answer the call that we heard loud and clear from pharmacists and pharmacy personnel that they needed advocacy and help to improve the environments and the conditions which they work. So the documents actually split into two categories. You have responsibilities and rights, but they don't function separately. So we all know as pharmacists, we all take oaths. And so of course we have professional responsibilities and to fulfill these responsibilities, the principles under the rights section are also needed. So our goal is for pharmacists and pharmacy personnel to use this fundamentals document as a place to start a conversation in your pharmacy organization. Uh, I'd encourage anyone who isn't familiar with this document to find it on our website and to use it to open the discussion. You may find 
that many of those rights are already met in your assessment, uh, or chances are you may not. <clears throat> and it's always great to reconcile that with leadership or vice versa and genuinely discuss how to enhance our respective environments. It's always a good idea to celebrate what your pharmacy is doing well uh, and make a commitment to begin to address areas that need attention. When our staff are given the opportunity to be at their best, then our patients receive the best care. So we have to do all that we can to, to put them in the best position to do that. So one quick question, and, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but starting the conversation, one pearl in terms of how do you start that conversation with your management? You know, I think it, it really just comes down to, you know, to just creating an environment of mutual respect, you know, maybe even having some ground rules as far as how the discussion is going to be. I think, you know, uh, when you when you think about what folks uh, that are, you know, on the front lines that are dealing with immense pressures may not necessarily feel, you know, that they have the support that they need. You know, there might be a fear of retaliation or there may be a fear of, of coming forward with something, um, you know, in case there might be some uh, some sort of response that might be um, further harmful to them. And, and so you, you want to be able to establish just a, an environment of mutual respect between the staff that are constantly dealing with these pressures on a day to day basis and the leaders that may be in position to um to enhance the environment in some ways, make things more efficient to where, you know, our, our frontline practitioners don't have that stress. And so I can't stress enough, just having that open environment for mutual respect, setting those ground rules early uh, is essential to having a fruitful and constructive conversation. And, you know, one of the tools that is often overlooked that are available in a lot of practices and, and institutions is the employee assistance program. Um, and the concern we hear is, is you know, will if I use the EAP um, service, will it become known to my employee, any employer, anything from your perspective on the EAP programs? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say employee assistance programs are likely the most underutilized benefit most employers offer. Um, it's a great way to connect with counselors and other mental health professionals to talk through the tough times with someone outside of your circle and, and come up with ways to process through those tough times. I think one of the reasons that folks don't take advantage of these programs is that they don't think it's confidential. And, and I can tell you from my own experience leading our department that I received zero information from anyone unless that employee themselves uh, offers that they are using EAP. Uh, and so I don't know if any of our team members are, are using the resource. It's completely confidential and it's meant to be that way. Uh, I think another reason that it's underutilized is that by nature, as healthcare professionals and caregivers, we don't think the rules apply to us as far as needing care. Uh, and so I can't stress enough that self-care isn't selfish. Self-care is all about sustainability. And we need to work on that stigma that's associated with mental health and not think of our commitment to it being a sign of weakness. Rather, it's a sign of strength and awareness that good mental health means we can be at our best in helping others. And so I would recommend anyone uh, who is going through a tough time and they work for an organization that offers EAP to, to take advantage of that resource. That's what it's there for. And so one of the things that came out of it, the Wellbeing Summit that was held in 2019, was the identification that we needed documentation to de demonstrate the impact of well-being on patient safety and, and the professional's you know, own mental state. Um, and so APHA announced recently released a tool called the PWWR. Alex, can you talk about this new pharmacy workplace and well-being reporting portal and, and how these reports will be used? 
Absolutely. So it, it's important to note that the Pharmacy Workplace and Wellbeing Reporting Portal, or PWWR, it's not just another survey. Uh, it is a confidential reporting service for your positive and your negative experiences and solutions. And so any report that you submit, it's collected, analyzed by the Alliance for Patient Medication Safety, which is a federally recognized patient safety organization. And so the reports are protected by the confidentiality and privilege provisions of the Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Act of 2005. Any submissions to the PWRR cannot be disclosed or subpoenaed and are not subject to discovery in a legal proceeding. So this offers a great resource for any pharmacist who wants to offer um, information with regard to current environment and, and ways to improve that environment. I think over time, it's our belief that the aggregated data from all the reports that we're going to receive, that's going to help tell a collective and powerful story to spark change and improvement in pharmacy personnel well-being as well as patient safety. And I'd highly encourage anyone who is looking to voice their opinions or concerns regarding the pharmacy workplace and well-being uh, reporting tool to submit it, uh, a report on the portal. I think there's something cathartic about using our current mediums like social media to express our opinions, and I get that, but this resource can be really helpful. It's an involved process. For doing a report might take 15 to 30 minutes of time, but it's completely confidential. We don't have, you know, that your name isn't asked for, where you practice, et cetera. Um, your report is completely confidential and protected by federal PSO regulations. And then the patient safety organization will analyze reports for trends and then issue reports about those trends as well. Thank you, Alex. And we're gonna transition now to, to Rita um, and, and thanks for the insights you provided. You know, one of the ways as, as Alex talked about is the data coming out of such systems as the PWWR for patient safety organizations, they use it to address system issues through awareness, education, dialogue with system influencers. And the work of ISMP has for years been doing this and, and so now we're going to turn our attention to Rita Ju, who is with ISMP. Um, Rita, thank you for being with us. And you know, share with the audience, tell us about your, the work you do at ISMP. Sure. Well, th definitely. Thank you for having us, um, having me today. Um, so I'm a relatively new vice president of operations for ISMP. I've only been at ISMP for almost nine months, not quite a year yet. And um, as a lot of you might know that um, central to the work of ISMP is our error reporting system. Thank to, thanks to a lot of you all out there that has been reporting medication errors to us, we do spend a lot of our time investigating these errors and even calling and talking to our reporters and to understand what the circumstances are with errors happening and really doing a lot of sharing of these stories through our publications and, and most, most of you might have read, read either our acute care newsletter or our community or slash ambulatory care newsletter and, and some of our other publications that we're really sharing these, these errors and also providing our recommendations for that. Um, uh, when we see errors happening over and over again or series errors, we also send out the NAND alerts like the NAND alerts that we recently sent out about the mixed up of COVID vaccine and flu vaccines. So that's really central to the work that we do besides um, a lot of education and consultation work we do at ISMP. Thanks, Rita. And so you know, let's focus the discussion now on, on um, you know, with, with increasing workplace stresses, as Alex talked about in our previous discussion, 
tell us about some of the most common safety reports coming into ISMP, especially those that have been heightened during the COVID pandemic. Well, I have to say that during the COVID pandemic, one of the largest number of reports we have gotten are really COVID-19 vaccine errors. Uh, we have all kinds of errors being reported that I would never even be able to imagine in the past uh, just because of the huge volume of vaccines that folks are, are administering to patients. Um, leading the errors are dilution errors. We have errors that are both uh, causing underdose and overdosing to patients. Too much diluent, too little diluent, no diluent. And because of the way some of the mass vaccination centers are um, operating, we have people who's trying to be proactive in preparing the, the vaccines and drawing up air ahead of time and hence sometimes mistaken as diluent in a syringe that air actually getting injected as diluents into a vial of Pfizer vaccine, for example, that causes overdose of the vaccine. We have errors on mixing of two components vaccine and with COVID vaccine, um, the Pfizer vaccine specifically requiring a diluent, we have wrong diluents being used, sterile water instead of almost, well, again, no diluents at all um, when air was injected into the vial. We have storage issue, um, very notably at the very beginning of the COVID vaccine um, rollout, we have mix up between um, antibody, the COVID antibody vials with the COVID vaccine vial because of lookalike. We have worked really hard with the FDA to try to correct some and the manufacturers just to try to correct some of these issues. Um, we have administration of the wrong vaccine um, to the wrong patient population, administration to the wrong um, age patients, and especially with the second doses mixed up of different doses of vaccines, um, one vaccine given versus the other, like the patient was supposed to get, um, has been getting Moderna vaccine, ended up getting the Pfizer vaccine or vice versa. Um, second doses of Jensen vaccine being given to patients when it's not required. And, um, and then the most concerning one actually um, are the shoulder injury related to vaccine administration when the, when the vaccine is being administered too high up on on the arm and causing shoulder injuries. We have quite a few of those reported to us. And then of course, if you go to the next slide, um, the most recent issues are the mixed up between the flu and the COVID-19 vaccines. And uh, we thought this, a lot of these reports were actually coming from the consumers. So we don't, we couldn't quite figure out what was causing these errors. So a lot of this are speculations that we, do believe that because there's an increase in demand of co-administration of both flu and COVID vaccine, this is um, one of the reasons why it causes, there is all this mix up. And a lot of times we also realize from talking to folks that these syringes might be stored right next to each other. Uh, we've seen unlabeled syringes um, after this, the vaccine doses has been drawn up, and when you have these unlabeled syringes around that could easily be um, mixed up. And um, distraction is definitely one. I We have a report that was telling us that 
um, the patients were talking to the pharmacist as the pharmacist was administering the vaccine and the pharmacist got distracted and ended up giving um, COVID vaccine instead of flu vaccine to a patient. And I think topping the list is really uh, staffing shortages that the pharmacists and technicians are pulled in so many different directions and everything is so rushed that is causing these mixed up for them with um, the flu and the COVID vaccines. Thank you, Rita, for sharing those those insights. And we've already got some questions that are rolling in. So one that I, I while we're on this topic is the reports that are coming in for the errors, are they only from dealing with pharmacies or are they across the healthcare system? Are you seeing errors occurring in other practices? Yes, it, the, the errors that we receive are from across the board, like from acute care hospitals, I mean, no one is immune to these errors, unfortunately. Um, we have hospitals reporting the errors, similar errors that we're seeing in community or retail pharmacies and chain stores. Um, it's across the board, basically, in mass vac vaccination clinics and physician offices. Those, those are all the reports that we, the locations of the reports that we are getting. And these errors really was not discriminatory as far as um, the location of practice. Okay, great. Um, so the question um, is in terms of what the manufacturers are doing to help uh, avoid some of these errors. And so what are the manufacturers doing uh, to prevent mix-ups with the COVID vaccines and, and other vaccines? Well, I think the most notable things these manufacturers are doing is the different color caps, right? Um, you you all know that um, by now that the Pfizer, adult Pfizer vaccine is purple in color and the pediatric vaccine that's coming out is supposed to be orange with orange caps. The Moderna vaccine is red for both the regular and the booster shot and the Janssen vaccine is blue. Um, so these color differentiation is good to a certain extent. I really do want to stress the importance of folks not completely relying on these colors to differentiate these files um, and make sure reading the labels and ensuring that you're having the correct brand of the vaccine is very important. And one, one thing is, of course, sometimes you get these colors um, mixed up in your head as well. And you assume, I mean, confirmation bias is such a such a real thing, especially when, when you are busy and you're stressed and you're stressed out. Um, the other big thing is once the cap is removed, you, I mean, you, you would not have any um, other differentiation. So you can only rely on the caps for the a fresh vial. And once you tap into the vial for the second and the third doses, you wouldn't have the cap color too. For differentiation. So it's really important that we don't over rely on color differentiation in this case. And I think one of the points that you and I talked about when we were prepping for this is not relying on the color, always read the label and double check. So going back to our basics that we learned in pharmacy school about mm -hmm. double and triple check. Yep. Um, yep. So let's talk about some practical solutions that pharmacies can put in place for preventing errors. What what suggestions do you have for uh, pharmacies in order to avoid some of these potential errors? Well, having a, a standardized um, procedure is important. There's quite a few different things that as at ISMP, we actually recommend. 
first of all, separating your vaccines um, in clear bins that would differentiate one from another is important. Yet now that the um, Pfizer vaccine is coming out with the pediatric dosing, that's even more important for, for a long time, we've been recommending with vaccines that you always want to segregate the adult vaccine from the pediatric vaccine, because we've seen over the years errors of um, administering the pediatric vaccine to adults and, and adult vaccine to pediatrics all the time. I mean, even to every month, we get a ton of numbers of these kind of reports out. So definitely having good storage system to segregate these vaccines is important. Um, I know in the community setting, sometimes it's a little difficult to, to advocate for the labeling of these vaccine syringes, but more really these days when you have all these different vaccines that are not in the pre-filled manufacturing vaccines that um, they can differentiate one from another, labeling the vaccines is an important Thing, even if you do have some pre-printed labels just to kind of slap on the vaccine syringe after it's prepared is an important way to prevent errors from happening. Um, for some of the vaccines where they have pre-filled manufactured dosages, I, we, we always encourage using those instead. So for example, between the influenza vaccine and the COVID vaccine, one way to help differentiated is to use these pre-filled manufactured flu vaccine syringes instead of um, pharmacists having to draw it up. Um, one person at a time preparing, one person preparing and administering the vaccine do help um, with some of the communication issues that we have seen when one person drew it up, draw something up, and some of the injecting air into the vials, frankly, is someone was pre preparing these syringes for someone else's to draw up. And the person to come by just didn't realize that it was just air in the syringes and thought it was already drawn up diluents and ended up putting it into the vial and not diluting these vials. So if at all possible, if one person would prepare and administer it, at least they would be able to know what the different steps are. We wanted to make sure people are doing one, one thing at a time and not doing an assembly line of things because that's really when, when errors happen. So one patient at a time, one, one vaccine at a time. And um, of course, two things that I cannot stress um, more is the double checking, the independent double check. It, this is almost a luxury sometimes when I see in the retail stores where things are so busy when they may only be one pharmacist around. But these are the critical steps that a second pair of eyes is important. Um, we have always advocated ISMP and me personally, even when I was in practice, is really doesn't matter who is drawing up the vaccine, a second pair of eye is, is important. So if a pharmacist is drawing up, your technician can help to do a double check. And even your clerk, if, if you don't have another technician around to help to do the checking, to make sure that you don't have a lapse um, in your memory or you don't have um, happen to have confirmation bias pulling one thing up for another. And then finally involving, we really wanted to advocate involving your patients and or parents for pediatric patients or caregivers and really having them validate the vaccine, read it out, have them hold up the, the vial or the, the syringe label and read it out. This is what you're getting to confirm that 
So then you have the patient helping to con confirm that the, the vaccine is indeed the correct vaccine. Great, great point, Rita. Thank you for, sh for sharing those. And you know, another one that we know that also helps too is if you're refilling out their, their COVID cards, for example, before a person administers the vaccine, double check the card as well, what they're supposed to be getting, um, right. what's put in the system and what they're supposed to be getting. And again, yeah. as you say, confirm that with the patient. Great points, thank you. Anything mm -hmm. else in terms of um, things that have created errors that you want to um, leave, leave a suggestion to the audience? I, I think standardizing your workflow and make sure that everyone is sticking to this standardized workflow is important. I mean, in pharmacy, we know we've all been practicing as one pharmacist might do one thing compared to another. And when you don't have a standardized workflow, that's usually when mistakes happen. So if at all possible, if you can have one standardized workflow and make sure that you put in your double checking in that standardized workflow and outline clearly outlining who are the people who can help with the double checking, I think will we'll go a long way in helping to prevent some of these lapses that happens when folks are stressed out and stretched. Alex Varkey and Rita Ju, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And that's it for this edition of Lockdown Pharmacy. This is Frank Fortin on behalf of Mitch Rothholz and the American Pharmacists Association. Thank you for joining us. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Pharmacists Association, the largest professional association of pharmacists in the United States.